Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Our scripture today is from Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, and 32 through 40. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Amen. Good morning, everyone. When I was a a young uh, pastor, uh, the only children in the church were mine. And um, it was an older congregation near my seminary, and... My, obviously, there was no place for my children to go, and when Dad was up preaching, they felt like they could come up the aisle and talk to Dad. Tonight, today is like that. It is okay for your children to make noise. Parents get so tense when their child makes noise, and everybody else is trying to concentrate on the message. Please understand... This is what Jesus experienced. (laughs) Your children are our privilege. You know, this morning, we're going to take a pivot. Obviously, if you've looked ahead in the bulletin, you can see that we're not doing Exodus 14. If you're visiting with us, I'm sorry. You probably thought that uh, Michael Keller would be up here and uh, preaching in our series. Uh, But our uh, pastor's father passed away. But Tim Keller wasn't just Michael Keller's father, was he? He was the founder of our church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He was also, many people in this room, their dear pastor for many years. And so it just doesn't seem right to talk about what was planned. 
And instead, I think we need to recognize the moment that some in the room are grieving. They're grieving because Michael lost someone dear to him. Others are grieving just simply because they love uh, Tim and Kathy Keller and feel the hurt. So I picked Hebrews 11. Michael and I started talking about this a couple weeks ago, that this could possibly happen at some point. And so it didn't make sense for me to just do what the next passage. And so I've been thinking about this passage for a while, although not a lot of notice to put something to paper, but at least you will get this. I wanted us to see something important from this list of heroes that are given to us. Just taking a few moments to talk about heroes of the faith and what their purpose is in our lives. I have to admit, up front, it's been a tough year for my heroes. Um, I have another one of my friends who I've seen a lot of tributes over the last few days, and one of them was a friend sent me a picture of nine men. They were all my heroes, and five of the nine have already gone on to be with the Lord, four of them this year. Uh, started uh, with Dick Kaufman, who for years was the executive pastor of Redeemer. And then uh, God called him to San Diego to plant many churches in, in that area called Harbor uh, Presbyterian Church. And so, great guy, taught me a lot about systems and structures and how church works, working with people. He was the first person ever who said that, Bruce, it sounds like you're a king whatever that meant. It just, I just tracked with the guy. Um, Steve Smallman was very precious to, to me. He died on May the 14th, just a week ago today. Uh, Steve um, taught me tons about the gospel and how to believe the gospel and understand how the gospel grows us. It doesn't just save us. And Harry Reeder, who died just a day before Tim, who was a tremendous churchman to me, who taught me to love the bride of Christ, which seems to be lost so much in our culture, that Jesus loved the church. He died for the church, that we are saved into the church. And so those are just some of them. And of course, on Friday, Tim. The first time I ever heard his voice, it was 1993. I can remember exactly where I was. I was in my office. The college pastor, I was a singles pastor. The college pastor came in and he said, you've got to listen to this. I even remember the sermon. It was called People of the Lie. It was out of uh, Genesis 3. He had given it a few weeks ahead, uh, before I heard it. And so we immediately said, we have got to join what was called the, at the time the Tape of the Week Club. Because we used to get the morning a.m. sermon, and now on the back side of the tape, you don't even know what a tape is. <laughs> I'm already losing you. On the other side of it was the evening services, because at that time, Tim had two morning services and two evening services, and they put them on tapes. If you paid a couple of bucks, they would send you these tapes. And then we would sit together, this college pastor, a guy named Fred Harrell, and, and I would sit there, and we would critique Tim. I was 32. <laughs> First person I had ever heard 
speak to two groups of people at the same time. People who, who knew Jesus, people who had grown up in the church, and then people who had questions and were skeptical and had doubts using the same gospel message. So we figured we just got to learn from this guy. And so every week we sat and we took notes. And, and it was a few years later, I'm, I'm only 35 at that point, I uh, started a doctorate. And so I said, you know, I need to take this class on, on preaching. And I had heard that Tim Keller was teaching this class down in uh, Florida. So I flew down and, and I sat in his class. By then I'd heard dozens and dozens of Tim Keller sermons from the tape of the club. He was sitting in class and he was explaining how he puts it together and how, it, how we could talk to people that are in both groups at the same time and how to, how, how to take a passage apart. And, and so I, I raised my hand and it just shows you how arrogant of a human being I can be. I said, Dr. Keller, it sounds like to me you only have five sermons and you preach whatever passage you're in and one of those five are, the, are what you preach. And Tim Keller is so humble. In the back, he just said, Look, I am so flattered you think I've got five. <laughs> I got to know Kathy Keller through a committee that I got to serve on. I was writing a paper on the role of women in the church for our denomination. She was on the committee. We became writing partners and wrote so much of the pastoral part of this paper. And one of the things you draw from Kathy is how much she loves Tim Keller. That they were not just partners in ministry, but they were partners in life. And so I got to know Tim through her. And then... I've been part of this group of pastors for a while, and uh, we, it was supposed to be older pastors and younger pastors, but those younger pastors kept getting older. And so we went after some fresh meat, and one of them was this young guy named Michael Keller, and we, we brought him in, and we thought we would teach him. You notice, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've put on Michael Keller's microphone here, and I have a bigger head than he does. <laughs> So I'm always adjusting this thing. One day he might get a big head like me. Anyway, I, 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 um, <laughs> I got to know Michael, and one of the beautiful things about coming to Redeemer, it wasn't the reason I came, so don't think that, but one of the things was I got entrance into a relationship with Tim through Michael. Well, he has been a hero for, for a long time, as you can tell, but I didn't know him. And then one of the fruits was to get a chance to know my hero. Have you ever heard that phrase, meeting your heroes can be sometimes a disappointment? When my boys were young, every spring in March sometimes February, but mainly March, we would get in our van and we would drive to Florida and go to spring training and we would go watch two games a day. We'd watch one in the afternoon and one in the evening and we did that for a week. My kids loved it because they got hot dogs and hamburgers and french fries and no vegetables. <laughs> but they also got to meet their heroes. 
They get to watch them when they were young, grow up, get promoted, come back. That's what spring training is all about. But what's sad for my boys is how many of these athletes would not sign autographs for their fans. There was this, I loved when the Dodgers were in Vero Beach because they didn't build dugouts for the players. They made the players sit in the stands with the fans. I love that part. I love that people who you look up to associate with us people. (laughs) And we learn from them. We find out great things about them. But ultimately what we learn is that ordinary people do extraordinary things. Not that they're extraordinary. What made them extraordinary was that they were ordinary. I want to take a few moments today and speak to you about these heroes because of something that our passage tells us about them. Those who believe in Jesus, it says in verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. After this incredible list of Old Testament heroes, and then he says, and and this is where uh, Heather had to pick up, I've got lots of other people I could talk about, but I don't have time. People who were beaten and and by sword did great and wonderful things and and, uh, suffered much for Christ, but they too are on this list. And they're on this list of whom the world was not worthy of them. First, I I just want to say what makes a hero of faith. And then secondly, for us to realize all of our heroes have faults if we get up close enough. And then third, and then we'll be done, and I hope it's quick enough that um, you don't feel that this is terribly long. We need heroes just like them. What makes a hero a hero? It's given to us in the opening two verses of Hebrews 11. In verse 1 it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. They were commended because they could see what others couldn't see and believe what others would not believe. That's the definition of a hero of faith, that they had received a promise and they believed the promiser who made the promise. One of the great in the list is Abraham. That's not his original name. His original name was Abram, which simply meant father. And here comes God while he's in the land of Ur and says, Hey, Abram, I know you're kind of old here. And Sarah, your wife's kind of old, but I'm going to give you a child that you and your wife have longed for but have never received. He had to believe God when he left this secular city of Ur into a country that he had never been and never heard other than the promise. And so here Abraham first sees a son and then he sees a people long before he had a son. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. And then, to, to make it worse for this guy, 
God says, I tell you what, Abram is too small a name for you. I'm going to call you Abraham, which means father of peoples, plural. Because he says, my promise is that not only am I going to bless you, but through you, through this son I'm going to give you, the nations are going to be blessed. He had to believe what no one else could see. In fact, there was a lot of laughter in the house. There was a lot of laughter when people talked about how old they were and no children. Another person in this list is Moses, who first saw a people, and then he saw a land. Because he believed in the promise that God was not going to just say, you're going to be my people, but I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a place that's home, but it is only a down payment. It's only uh, a deposit of what I'm going to give you, the ultimate land. But until then, you're going to go into this land, and it's going to be rich and beautiful and wonderful for you to be in. And he could see what two million people as slaves could not see. Can you imagine as he's describing this place that they're going to have, and they have never been there because for 400 years they've been slaves. And so he could see this people and then the land. David, he first saw the land, but then he saw a kingdom. You see, God came to him and said, not only am I giving you this, but it is a kingdom that is going to last forever. And that one day, one of your children is going to be king forever. Now, he had to see that before it ever showed up. Because after he dies, not so good for the kingdom. But then there's Tim Keller, who saw a church and then a city. In 1989... Tim and I were not headliners together, but he was. And I was further down on the list of missionaries at a missions conference in 1989. I was raising money. He was raising money to come to New York City. I heard this a tremendous description of a city that he wanted to live in, that he wanted a church to be established in and to grow and influence and change because he believed the power of the gospel changes everything. It changes a church to not only be for itself, but be for others. To be other-centric, to serve the city, to seek its transformation. He believed that before anyone else. In fact, people gave him money thinking that nobody can go to New York City and see people come to Christ. Most of America had written off New York City in 1989, but not Tim Keller. He saw... The, one of the greatest cities on the face of the planet and said they need the gospel. And he came. What a, what a gift of whom the world was not worthy. But thank God he gave them. But they had feet of clay just like us. Verse 39 says, yet none of them received what they had promised. Verse 13 says, all were still living by faith when they died. But up close, you do see their flaws. Abraham, Abraham, he goes out into that beautiful uh, 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 country, and he runs around there, and when he comes across someone who might be threatening, he says, this woman who's with me, she's not my wife, she's my sister. All to save his life. He doesn't do it once, he does it twice. To save his own skin, he gives up his wife. 
He joins Sarah in the plan to produce an heir. When God has taken, seems to have taken his time to give him that heir, he says, well, I'll just take this into my own hand, sleeps with his uh, maidservant uh, Hagar and produces Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not the one I was talking about. I have another. Abraham did not live long enough to see those people. He saw the sun, but he did not physically yet see the people that would come. Moses, not raised in his own home, raised among the Egyptians, and then when he, he begins to identify with the, his own people, he ends up murdering one of the guards. But that's not his only failure. He didn't trust God to produce what he needed, and so he, you'll read that he struck a rock twice, and God says, you only need to strike it once. You know, it's not like I need a lot of theater. You don't need to do smoke and mirrors. I just need to do me. Don't do me. Let me be me. Moses did not live long enough to see that promised land. David, if you ever heard about power dynamics... He's the king. He looks across the way and sees a young maiden who's married. Her husband's gone off to war and he says, you know what, I'd rather have her. And so he has an affair. And I think that's the politest way to say, if today we had someone of major power taking advantage of someone who was out of power, we would say that is rape, not an affair. And then to cover it all up, he has her husband murdered, killed at the front of the line. David's sons, when he finally dies, takes over the kingdom and they divide it. And then it eventually falls apart and goes into captivity or worse. David did not live long enough to see that eternal kingdom on earth. Thank the Lord he is seeing it now. One of the things I learned from Tim Keller was this phrase, that if you're a pastor... You need to always repent first and be the best repenter in your church. I've got to see that last year. Uh, Tim had written an article about a big debate that's going on in our culture and in our church on sexual identity. And and in the paper, he wasn't as gracious as some who were receiving it on the other side of the argument. And so he called people together, and I got to be part of this conversation where the very first thing I got to hear him say, rather than defend his arguments, was to say, I'm sorry. I was insensitive to your position and to where you were. I said things that I shouldn't have said and shouldn't have wrote. One of the things that I love about Tim Keller is how he saw Redeemer as a church for the city, not a church in the city, your prepositions matter. Even just recently, he was speaking aspirational about what Redeemer churches could become in the city and could be doing for the city that he loved. One of the things that I've learned through this list is something that Middle Ages taught us, is that the great cathedrals of the world that we go and we visit, do you realize that the architects never saw them built? Not one architect ever saw the finishing of his cathedral that he drew. Not one. Because most cathedrals took between two and 400 years to build. So not only did they not see it, but not even their grandchildren saw it. It is amazing. Tim didn't see all that Redeemer will be. 
He didn't see all that New York City will become transformed because the work is not yet done. We have not finished. And so why do we need these heroes? Because Hebrews 11, 40 tells us that God had planned something better. Something better than them. Something better than what he had promised them. Well, what? The true hero that all heroes point us to. All good heroes point us to. That there really is a better hero. True heroes of faith will always point you to the hero. Abraham, Moses, David, Dick Kaufman, Steve Smallman, Harry Reader, Tim Keller, all lived to point us to the real hero, Jesus Christ, because he was their hero. Who is this one true hero? Every kid in this room could say, it is Jesus, because it's taught in every one of our Sunday school classes. He's the one who left his throne in heaven and came here to be with us. He didn't have to. He chose to. He didn't do it out of obligation and duty. He did it out of love. He loved us so much that he took on our, our nature. He took on us, became like us, suffered like us, experienced the brokenness of this world and even was broken in it himself. Why? To turn our shame into glory. You see, that's why Paul describes, I mean, Hebrews describes what Jesus did. He said, there on the cross, scorning the shame. They meant to shame him on a cross by nailing him there. But ultimately, he turned that moment of shame into the glory, glorious gospel to erase ours. That no matter what we have done in this life, no matter what has been done to you in this life, it is completely covered by the finished work of Christ. This is what heroes of faith believe. This is what they point us to believe. To see that our shame is completely covered. Our text leaves us with this promise in verse 40. Together with us, they would be made perfect. There's the promise. I, you can feel all of the brokenness in your life, the brokenness of this world, but please know this. Your Father in heaven who loves you sees you perfect because of what he's clothed you with. He's clothed you with the righteousness, the works of Christ so that when the Father sees you, he sees his perfect son. Jesus came to give Abraham a better people of which we are part. Jesus came to give Moses a better country of which we are part. It's not the United States. It is the better country of the kingdom of God, which is what he gave David. Not the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. And Jesus came to give Tim Keller a better city. It's called the New Jerusalem. And that is where we are going. We taste it here. 
We work toward it here, but ultimately, that's where we're going. Yes, the world was not worthy of them, but thank God, God gave them to us because they pointed us to the true hero of this world, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today that you gave us these heroes. With all of their weaknesses, all it taught us is that you can use people even like us. People who could see what others cannot see and believe what others do not believe. Help us to walk in faith, to answer the call, to go where we are appointed by our heroes to you, to see your glory, to know your truth, to experience your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.